You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on site! Okay, kick me out for some reason. I think maybe the the wind out there is fucking up the internet <laughs> connection. That's great. Everything's going wrong. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful night. Mm. Have a great time. Um, okay, people don't need to hear that fucking story anyway. But needless to say, I fucked up my knee. So uh, yeah. So yeah, that it uh it, it was it was kind of fine going home. Like I could. I wasn't even like limping all that bad. I was just, mm-hmm. I, I was walking fairly well. So I'm of, I'm not, of course I'm not a medical doctor. So I'm, but I'm of the assumption that I didn't break anything. I didn't dislocate anything and I didn't tear anything serious. Like maybe at the most, maybe meniscus tear or something like that, right. you know? So it was, it was getting home, going to bed and then waking up the next day. That was the worst because my leg was in one position all night and it just got mm-hmm. stiff. And now it's kind of, the knee's kind of swollen a little bit and locked up. So just a little hard getting around right now. I'm limping pretty bad. So if it doesn't get better, then I'm going to go to the fucking doctors like tomorrow or Monday and see what the fuck. But No, that, uh, I understand, you know, it sucks. Uh, I've been mm-hmm. there, you know, uh, especially with work related accidents. Um, yeah. I would say, uh, you know, workman's comp, but, uh, you know, the rules are very different, <laughs> you know, <laughs> healthcare in Canada. It's a slightly different, uh, slightly yeah. different piece than uh, here in the U.S. Like, you know, uh, I can just, you know, if, if I end up do going to the doctor to get it checked out, if it doesn't sort of settle itself fairly quickly, it, I think the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to have the doctor tape it up and he'll probably recommend a knee brace until it fucking sorts itself out again. And that's about it. But right. And I'll just do light duty, which is fine. I don't have, have no problem doing light duty. Uh, works for me. <laughs> yeah. So this is episode 140 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sites. And I'm your host, Lee, a fucking gimp, Russell. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm with my co-host, Daniel. How you doing, sir? I'm uh, doing better than you were. I worked uh, 12 days in a row. And, uh, did, you know, picked up, picked up overtime. It would not have been quite as quite as many days but i needed to do some work last weekend and so i just split it up across saturday and sunday rather than doing like a full day one day okay. so it doesn't it's not quite as bad as it, as it seems but i was doing um i did quite a few hours didn't really have the the brain power to do a whole lot of uh other stuff just from my uh from my work shift so uh i'm glad you kind of I, i'm not happy that you injured yourself but i was happy <laughs> when you when you sent the message and were like uh yeah, we're gonna have to hold off for this for another week. I was like, oh yeah, that that actually kind of works for me. You know, I I've been just kind of hanging out. I've been watching a lot of like kind of um brainless crap. Um, you know, for the last uh last couple of weeks, um, just picking up some stuff on streaming services, and uh, so I figured we could uh, just kind of talk about what we've been watching and uh, 
just do a little uh, episode and let people enjoy uh, the 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 usually what we do after we finish recording. Yeah, we destroy it on site. The 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 bull. You know, we spend so much time bullshitting on the show anyway. Like, what if we could do it and then not have to watch any movies? Just bullshit <laughs> for you know all all you get is the extraneous material today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were going to be doing the last wave listener request from I think maybe two years ago. Yeah, my injury sort of sidelined my uh, prep work. So we're just going to basically, we're going to talk about what we've watched in the last little while. And also, uh, the listeners really came through. I put a question note on the Facebook page. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. And we had uh, three listeners uh, leave comments and substantial ones as well. So uh, we'll get to those uh, at the end of the show. It'll be fun. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds good. We'll do a, we, we should do these more often if people would actually give us topics to chat about. And mm-hmm. I have not seen, I saw that you posted it on the Facebook group, but I have not actually seen any of the answers. So these will all be brand new to me. So good times. Nice. Yeah. I've got kind of three things to, uh, to talk about so we can kind of alternate if you want to do that. All right. So I'll let you go first. Sure. Uh, we will do these when they were made order. Um, <laughs> Cyborg, the John Claude Van Damme oh, yeah. film from 1989, uh, is on uh, Amazon Prime. I threw that on last night, and boy, that's a. I have seen that. I saw that like once or twice when I was a kid, and I I kind of grew up on those like 80s and 90s, you know, kind of action films of that era. Right. And um, that's one. I mean, I know I watched like Bloodsport and Kickboxer. The thing with Bloodsport and Kickboxer is, I know I've seen both of them so many times that I don't remember which scenes are in which movie. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I just I can't. I, I know I've seen them both. Um, also, uh, John Claude Van Damme is in No Retreat, No Surrender, which is oh, a yeah. film I watched a lot of. He's just kind of the bad guy. He's kind of mostly at the very end. Um, but Cyborg is one that I did not see that much, which. Rewatching it, it's very clear why I didn't watch it that much because there's just not that much good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did have very um, clear memories of some of the uh, torture scenes and some of the action moments. Like I had a very kind of like, oh yes, I definitely remember seeing this as a kid. Have you seen the film like at all recently or um, not recently? I, I think well, I saw it in the '90s at some point, but yeah. Uh... I, I was kind of on the like this might actually be something worth doing. I mean, it is our uh, Albert Pune. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, we, I kind of joked around about us doing a Pune cast, and this would definitely be on that list to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it's, uh, I'm not sure there's enough in it to, to talk about it so much. Um, it's got, it's about half flashback material. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interestingly structured. Um, it does have some cool little, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a sequence where John Claude Van Damme is like crucified by the, uh, by the big bad. Um, oh, and all okay. the, yeah. All the all the bad guys in the film, um, they did very much remind me of um, Raiders from Fallout. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a very strong like oh this is like low budget Fallout fan fiction made you know fifteen years early, um, but there is a uh, there is a sequence where he gets crucified and then he has to like use his like karate kick powers to uh, to break down the uh, the crucifix and uh, you know mm-hmm. he falls on the, he falls on in the in the sand and then. Uh, the girl comes up and like just chops him out with a machete or whatever. So it's like, oh yeah, well maybe you could have, you know, not suffered through all that man pain. She was on her way to, <laughs> but you know, he had to be a badass. Um, th- there are a couple little like kind of badass sequences like that. Um, but overall, uh, I think the thing that really uh, kind of weirds me out about the film is that there's really no reason that she's a cyborg. 
Like, yeah. it's just like she's supposed to be like this kind of Johnny Mnemonic kind of character, I guess, where it's like, oh, I can like store the data for the the cure in my head. And then, but like when you go to see a movie called Cyborg and it's John Claude Van Damme, you think like, oh, they're going to like enhance his like super kick punching power with yeah, like, either, Cyborg or whatever. But he's, he's not the Cyborg. Yeah. You know? Either he's going to be the cyborg or he's going to be fighting the cyborg. Right. One or the and, other, right? And neither of those things is true. The cyborg mm-hmm. is just a side character who, you know, you get a couple of fairly decent little uh, special effects sequences for a $500,000 movie made by mm-hmm. Canon. Um, and then um, otherwise it kind of just goes away. Anyway, um, the film isn't, isn't very good, but it was kind of an entertaining thing to like sit and watch again and go, oh, yeah, that's, you know. It's just funny now to see like baby John Claude Van Damme just a little bit too, you know. <laughs> he was like twenty eight or so when he made that movie, and yeah. I was like, man, he looks young. He looks really young. Um, not the greatest uh, John Claude Van Damme movie. Maybe we'll do some more. Maybe we'll. Maybe we'll. Uh, I've been thinking we should be doing some eighties and nineties action films at some point um, because I grew up on those, and uh, I, I think well, it'd be fun to, to revisit some of them. So. Well, uh, I'll disclose to the listeners uh, in our uh, private chat on Twitter. I was planning on after we did the last wave to basically give control of the show over to you up till the end of the year anyway. So, so I mean, yeah, I know. think I, I saw that and I'm like, what would I like to do? And um, I know, um, I guess we can, I guess I, we can kind of talk about stuff and get, get wet people's appetites for the things we're thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, <laughs> uh, the other side of the wind, the finally finished Orson Welles film is on Netflix. Uh, and, uh, I definitely want to see and watch. I, I think we should do that for sure. That would be um, cool. I am I am so pumped for that. And so I was thinking, like, oh, and there's a bunch of other wells on there now, like Touch of uh-huh. Evil is on. Um, stranger is on there. The Stranger. Um, you know, I think we could do some Orson Welles stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, like, alternate that with, you know, like kind of cheesy 80s movies, basically. Like, I want to do, like, um, like maybe do, like, Commando and the Running Man as an episode and, you oh, know, that'd be nice. stuff like that. So, um, and, and not do like one series and the other, but just like alternate. So that way it's, uh, you know, when we could get like big buff, uh, buff rippling, uh, biceps of, uh, an Austrian strongman. And then the next week, um, you get the running man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, I'll give my uh, first one here and, uh, I'll do the same as you sort of go uh, chronological order here. I recently watched, this is kind of a rewatch, but uh, last time I saw this, I was a kid. Seventh Voyage of Sinbad uh, from 1958. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I That's, think it's uh, think... Harryhausen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was it was the first fully colorized uh, film that Harryhausen did his effects for. So, and also he wrote. He has a, uh-huh. a writing credit on it as well. Really fun, kind of. Uh, it's it's kind of funny though now to to watch that and see that like nobody in the cast looks even vaguely. <laughs> from the Middle East at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's certainly not a problem that we're going to run into again in the next few weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sinbad has to hire this pirate crew, basically, and they all sound like Cockney pirates for the most part. And mm-hmm. it's it's just it's just hilarious. Um, but the effects are really good, of course. And I think it I think it holds up, even though it's like ridiculous, because like the princess he's trying to save, she gets shrunk and like, if you think about it hard enough, she'd be dead because there's no way she could breathe air at that size. But you know, it, it's magic, so whatever. But <laughs> um, but yeah, she she's she's the most white looking person in the entire cast, by the way. Right. right. <laughs> I, I I think the only ethnic guy in the cast is actually the bad guy, and he's from India. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, he like he's a like a British Indian citizen or something, classically trained. Right. So, um, but yeah, enjoyable. Um, probably not my favorite Sinbad film. Um, I think I think the one I like the most is Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger or something like that. It's called. Uh, that's really good stuff. But this is really good. It, it was a nice. It's it's one of those films that you can just put on and just sort of sit back and not think about it, enjoy it. You know. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen the film, uh, you know, start to finish. I mean, obviously I've seen the kind of the big special effects sequences show up in, you know, any kind of history of the special effects sort of thing, you know, that I would have watched, you know, back when YouTube didn't exist. And so like, you know, basic cable would show like these, these kind right. of like making up featurettes and like, Oh, this is how they used to do, you know, stop motion back in the fifties and Ray Harryhausen being this great. Uh, but I don't think I've ever actually seen the film. So uh, I'll definitely have to, uh, we should we should put that on the list. I think it would be an interesting uh, thing to kind of check out some of that some of that stuff. I will possibly share a link with you if I'm giving given permission from a uh, mutual friend of ours. He uh, he recently was very generous in sharing a link uh, with me that uh, provided me with well over a thousand films that I can oh, nice. watch at my convenience. So yeah, um, so your turn. Yeah, sure. Um, all three of mine are kind of uh, you know kind of well going up the budgetary scale of like special effects <laughs> action films, you know? So, uh, and, uh, again, this was just kind of like, it showed up on Netflix and I went, Oh yeah, this will de- definitely be worth a watch. I was so tired of doing all those vampire films mm-hmm. that, um, I put on blade. For, <laughs> uh, you know, I literally put it Oh yeah, this will be like kind of a goofy little, uh, like I, I remember really liking this. I saw this in theaters I think this is arguably the first of the kind of modern um, superhero franchise film. Um, I, you know, again, I liked it then, and I was like, oh, yeah, this would be kind of fun to revisit. And uh, 15 minutes in, I went, right, I'm watching a vampire film. Why am I, why am I doing this to myself? Uh, no. Um, it holds up. It's, it's definitely, you know... <laughs> It's funny the degree to which uh, the Matrix like changed the rules for everything, you know, because it's still very much stuck in that kind of mid even in 98 i think the um the sort of the quipping action hero guy you know who's like sometimes sometimes motherfuckers just want to skate uphill or whatever yeah. <laughs> he's got those kind of tough guy lines you know um even even by 98 that was that was definitely on its way out and blue definitely um relies on that uh wesley yeah. snipes is not bad at uh, delivering those lines um he does not look particularly like a martial artist um he's i i think the sequences worked in 98 but i think you know the again the matrix just sort of changed all the rules on everything you know you know it's no it no longer looks convincing at all i remember thinking it looked pretty badass at the time and i think some of the way it's kind of shot and edited looks pretty good um but wesley snipes is just not believable in the slightest when he's doing these action sequences no and i mean I can't remember if they, if they do it in that film, but I know they do do it in Blade Two, where there's some really egregious CGI action scenes with Blade in them. I so. remember hating Blade Two. I saw Blade Two theatrically, and I really mm-hmm. didn't like it. And so I didn't. I never even saw Blade Trinity. Although now I, I think I, it's time to kind of revisit the franchise and uh, you know kind of check that out. Um, I know that uh, Danny John Jules is in uh, is in Two, which is always mm-hmm. nice. Um, and so. Uh, because he's in Red Dwarf, if uh, the listeners don't necessarily know who <laughs> Danny John Jules is. Um, and like uh, Ron Perlman, and that's uh, that's still Toro. That's Guillermo del Toro. That one, it's you know, so. Actually, Blade 2 is really good. 
we yeah. we should okay. revisit it then. So yeah. so I I really did not like it because I thought some of the like absurdity of it I just couldn't get past it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that movie came out when I was like twenty, and uh, you know it's I'm willing to admit I was wrong at twenty. Believe it or not, I had a bad <laughs> opinion about a movie when I was twenty years old. I wanted to, that. but but the first one was really good. Um, Tracy Lords. This was during her very brief period of like being the kind of like respectable actress. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she's, I mean, she's only in a little bit of the film, but she's she's perfectly fine at the beginning. And uh, you know that kind of opening sequence, I think, really kind of sells it because that's kind of when the like badass, you know, like Blade kind of kicking some ass and you know all the blood. I was surprised at how um, much it plays on the horror tropes. I remembered mm-hmm. it being much more of a kind of like straight action film, but it really does kind of play on not just the, um, you know, the the uh, transformation of the the characters and sort of the horror of like being. It's got a very like late nineties angst to it in terms of like, right. know, oh, I'm gonna turn and oh, I'm gonna keep taking more and more of this serum, or else I'm gonna like go and <laughs> kill some motherfuckers or whatever. Um, but it's it's got a lot of that going on. Uh, but it uh, it works in the film. It's just sort of like, oh, this is just what the '90s were, man. You know, and, yeah. you know, you don't understand Gen X unless you understand this was just par for the course in '98. It's just the way it was. Um, but it does have quite a few genuinely kind of horrific moments in it, which I think were uh, well done. And um, I think this is uh, I think this is something. It was really worth revisiting, and I think I will um, check out two and three. I think they're all on Netflix right now. So. Three has some fun performances. It's got Patton Oswalt of all people in in it. Uh, does he play? Does he play like the nerdy guy doing the like the whistler role? Like the uh, like he's the guy kind of a substitute whistler in a way. Okay. Yeah, okay. but but that one's got uh, it's Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel, right? Yes. Or am I okay? Um, which you know, from the uh, 2018 perspective, that's certainly uh, you know two people that it would be. It would be worth seeing it just for them, even if I thought the movie was going to be bad. But you know, well, Ryan Reynolds is good in it. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, but um, not the best. Not the best movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan Reynolds is uh, has kind of made a career out of being like the best thing about some really awful concepts. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, now he's now he's Deadpool, and finally it's like, oh, he found the property that like actually like plays to all of his strengths, and it's great. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll have to check that out. But I, I did really, I did really enjoy the rewatch. Um, it's just like, man, this is really kind of playing on this uh, again. That eighties, like early nineties, like watching it now, it feels very dated, which it didn't yeah. at the time. Um, at the time, it was still kind of in that. But I think we've just moved so much further in terms of the, what we expect from our action now that it's just. Um, big chunks of that film just don't work at all on it, you know, on just like fundamental technical levels. But yeah, and I, I thought I thought the the villains were pretty ineffectual in that film too. Like, yeah. I mean, that moment when Stephen Dorff is like supposed to be the badass. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think the film works just because he's obviously this sort of, in a way, it's almost prophetic because he is this kind of like douchey white guy who's coming in to take over from the old guard mm-hmm. and. Um, He's able to kind of kind of take care of business, but he's not like kind of up to the astral task of being the big bad, um, which I think is, uh, again, feels very, it feels modern, more modern than it did even in 98. <laughs> I think that that's something that uh, that works. But um, Chris Christopherson, I think is really good as well. But um, mm. yeah, no. 
Okay, uh, next one, Breakout from 1975, and this is a Charles Bronson film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got Robert Duvall in it with, I think, his real hair. I, were, you, uh, were you tweeting about this the uh, other day? or I think I Maybe, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, pretty fun, but also just a strange movie, because this is essentially Charles Bronson and his real-life wife, Jill Ireland, yeah. in, in the film. Basically, uh, they basically cuck Robert Duvall because he, uh, Robert Duvall is, uh, he plays the, the husband of Joe Ireland's character and he goes to prison. Uh-huh. Um, and basically she hires, uh, Charles Bronson, who's this, you know, uh, rangy bush pilot type, you know, kind of guy. She hires him to break him out of the Mexican prison that he got put in. So nice. he, he he tries a couple of these like daring. Well, one sequence is like he tries to fly his plane down to where they're uh, working, uh, doing like a road crew uh, cleanup or whatever chain gang thing. He tries to go down and get him there, and then they do another thing where um, Randy Quaid as his accomplice uh, dresses up as a woman and tries to pretend to be a hooker going in for uh, <laughs> to, to service the poor prisoners. And- Randy Quaid in nineteen seventy five. Man, that's. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything that early. I think the earliest thing I've seen him in is uh, probably a national vacation the first vacation film. Totally, totally different actor by the time he gets to the eighties. Like uh, so good though in the seventies, like he was that sort of like that young fresh face kind of guy, like innocent kid kind of thing. Like in uh, a movie we should do at some point, the last detail that was also in the Mm seventies. He's really good in that. Like he's, he's basically this, guy who gets he's going to military prison uh on a trumped up charge basically um and he's going to spend like eight years in there for basically just stealing a couple bucks out of uh out of a charity uh dish or whatever money charity dish and it just so happens that the charity was uh was was like the the charity run by like the commanding officer's wife or something like that so he (laughs) So you get, and it's Jack Nicholson and, uh, oh shit, I can't remember his name right at the moment, but, um, they basically just take him on a whirlwind kind of like booze, booze and hooker a thon before they take him to prison. Cause they have to tr- take him across country or something to, to, to the jail. So they have a week to get him there. So it's like, Hey, let's get this kid drunk and laid and stuff because he's going to be in prison for, you know, <laughs> he's going to be in prison for eight years. And those are like his formative years are going to be fucked. So yeah, it's it sounds like we need to do this as a uh, uh, twofer with Kingpin. Make it our Randy Quaid. Episode. <laughs> uh, I'm o- I'm always on board for uh, Randy Quaid though. Uh, even uh, yeah. even crazy Randy Quaid is, is fine with me. Um, Independence Day was playing on uh, one of the cable like FX or whatever. Um, or maybe somebody was just tweeting about. It. I don't know. You you ever get that feeling of like, oh, this film that I. I saw Independence Day four times when I was 16 years old in the theater. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved that movie. And my God, is it embarrassing to admit how much I loved that movie in 1996. Um, But it's also one of those, like, it was really effectively done at the time. And Randy Quaid has kind of a pivotal uh, pivotal bit in that. Hello, boys, I'm home. I'm back, one or the other. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, as the is the bush pilot turned fighter pilot who uh, you know sacrifices himself to save the day. But uh, yeah, somebody who was uh, kind of mentioning that film uh, at some point and impinged on my consciousness, and I was like, oh my god! Like suddenly, I, I have sense memory of watching that film. Mm. I 
had such a such a deep uh, affection for it. But um, yeah, deeply stupid '90s films. Uh, we're just gonna keep talking about that. <laughs> it's just you know, we're just revealing the inner the inner workings of my psyche. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when my tastes for movie movies were born, were were being formed in in my you know in my mid teenage years. So. Yeah. So yeah, Breakout's a lot of fun. It's it's basically just a Charles Bronson vehicle for the most part. And it's just yeah. like hey, Charles Bronson gets to like uh, abuse his real life wife on screen, you know, and, you know, treat her like shit and <laughs> no dice. Uh, I can yeah. I can do better, lady. You know, it's <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I think we should definitely do some Bronson. I think, uh, um, what's the one we did? We did a couple of Bronsons uh, during uh, when we did Exploitation. There's one we did with yeah. his wife. Violent City. Violent City. That was mm-hmm. that was good. I think we should do uh, some more stuff like that. Oh, we, uh, we, we got to do, uh, we gotta do uh, uh, Hard Times. Yeah. Uh, where he's the bare knuckle uh, boxer. That That's probably, I'd, I'd argue that's probably his best movie of the 70s. Right there. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll put it on the list. Uh, glad you didn't say his best movie because you know, obviously, Once Upon a Time in the West is uh, you know. Well, I of, said I said best movie of the seventies. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm aware. I was just, I was just going to kind of, you know, just put that out there. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. The, uh, the only other thing I really watched, um, other than just some kind of oddball stuff here and there, um, was. Uh, the Guillermo del Toro um, connection. Um, I uh, after I finished watching Blade, I uh, put on Hellboy two because it was oh, yeah. kind of like the next recommended thing on my. And I was like, yeah, sure, we'll just kind of let that play for a while. Um, you know, it's funny that like I actually prefer the first Hellboy film to the second one. Oh, really? In terms of um, just personal preference, like which one do I want to sit and watch more? But the second one is clearly the better film. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, well, the the first one's very simplistic. Yeah. Like the, the the second one is like Guillermo del Toro. It almost feels like he knew he wasn't going to get to make a third one, so he wanted to put everything in that film that he wanted to put. Right. And yet, it also feels like a very middle chaptery kind of thing. It feels like there's a third movie. Like mm-hmm. it's it does. It, you get to the end, and it's like, man, I really. You know, because it actually ends with this, like, you know, cliffhanger, like, oh, you're going to have to, like, sacrifice him or he's going to, like, end the world sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like there needs to be a third film, and yet it just never, I guess, the second one just didn't make the kind of money it needed to to justify it. But, mm-hmm. man, that's such a great little series. I mean, it's, even though it's only two films, like, those are both, like, little, at least minor classics, if not, you know, straight-up classics of, of uh, you know, kind of big special effects cinema. Um, some great performances all the way around. Seth MacFarlane yeah. is not uh, terrible. He is actually <laughs> very amusing and uh, quite quite um, quite well done, possibly because he's not on screen at all, and it's just him doing a voice. And uh, I guess, I don't know, who, did he do the the uh, the uh, mocap work for that? Do you know? I guess, uh, I, I, guess don't... I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if he did. I'm, I I would assume maybe they just like told Jug, Doug Jones to do it. Here you yeah, do everything else. <laughs> I, yeah, that's kind of the assumption is it was probably Doug Jones doing it the whole time. Um, but uh, it does it does capture some of the uh, buffoonishness of Seth MacFarlane without uh, without being uh, ingratiating or uh, annoying. There's another word I'm looking yeah. for. That's fine. I mean, you um, know, who thought you know him playing a uh, uh, an obnoxious cloud of gas would would in any way fit <laughs> who, it perfectly. Who, who would have thought that like giant flaming gas bag is the perfect role for something <laughs> <Seth MacFarlane? laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, but no, he's good. I, I love uh, Ron Perlman in that. Um, I love Selma Blair, who um, I don't know if you saw in the news. She was uh, just diagnosed. She's got um, I forget. I don't remember. I think it's uh, multiple sclerosis. She's been uh, diagnosed with. Yeah. Um, it was like a really kind of like, and literally I saw the news like a couple of days before, you know, kind oh, of the news showed up and it's like, I, I really like her. I think she's yeah. really, really good. And I think she, I mean, obviously I think she's great as Liz in these films. I think she's, uh, and I think she's, she's definitely, um, she had some really great parts, but I, I really think she could have been an even bigger star than she was. And just kind of never found that central role. Imagine why that might be so. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, why would that Act- actresses sometimes have that problem when they're not 22 anymore. I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I can figure. Uh, yeah, she's really good in those films. And I like, I just, I just love that, you know, those, it's one of those films where Guillermo just like every film he takes charge of, he, he gets to put everything he wants to put on yeah. screen design wise. And, I mean, you you go into that uh, that hidden town underground, yeah, like the the troll the troll market or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you see like all kinds of fun shit in there, uh, including elder things from uh, mountains of at Ma- mountains of madness. H.P. Yeah. Uh, Lovecraft. Uh, the film I still want to see him get to make at some point if he ever gets the money for it. Yeah, it it really does end on a cliffhang cliffhanger because you know. Uh, they're pregnant. They're going to have a kid, and yeah. he still has. To- <laughs> and then it ends on a freeze frame where he's just like shrug. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it definitely <laughs> it definitely feels like they're. Uh, it's a weird time anyway. Um, and you got this but, like great, great, but weird. yeah, and you got this like personification of the angel of death, basically telling them your time's coming and all this shit. It's like, oh man, there's like so much good stuff in there that needs to be resolved and never mm-hmm. was. It's it's a very Neil, Neil Gaiman moment. Like it feels like something out of Sandman, but like mm-hmm. not completely pretentious with its head up its ass. Mm-hmm. So it's really not Neil Gaiman at all. You know? mm-hmm. Which is which is kind of like a, a way I might summarize Guillermo del Toro's career. It's like Neil Gaiman without his head up his ass. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the fun Neil Gaiman who, who just who just likes monsters and just yeah. likes putting them on screen. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, so uh, I'll go through the last uh, couple here I have on my list. Um, uh, I'll move to 1981 with Nighthawks. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is a uh, Sylvester Stallone, Billy D. Williams uh, buddy cop film to a certain degree. Uh, it's got uh, Rutger Hauer in a very early role. I think maybe mm-hmm. his first American role playing yeah. a terrorist, which is especially more interesting now concerning the sort of terrorist he plays in this film. You know, he's not mm-hmm. the Middle Eastern terrorist. He's the, uh, like, um, nor like, you know, well, Swedish I would hope, Korean. I would hope they didn't have him play a Middle Eastern terrorist. That would be, no. you know, yeah. it would be a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying he couldn't but, convincingly do it. I'm just saying like that might, that would be definitely casting against type. You know? Yeah. Well, this movie's kind of like, I guess there was like a million and one production problems behind the scene. I guess Sylvester Stallone like took over directing on certain days and uh, made lots of changes to everything. This was, Um, this was during the period when all of Hollywood was just constantly on cocaine. Yeah. And again, I get the feeling that um, Sylvester Stallone is someone whose career, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like during that period, there were like so many off 
awesomely troubled productions that were just absolute shit shows behind the scenes and where people are making decisions and uh, you hear the stories now and it's like, why did anyone think this was going to work? Um, you know? <laughs> so that's just all I mean, 81. I mean, Stallone was also, you know, just five years off of Rocky. Mm-hmm. I think there was that kind of idea that, uh, you know, he, I think Stallone still thought he was going to be kind of a writer director kind of guy. Um, kind of, kind of be one of those kind of like seventies archers. Although he kind of yeah. comes like at the very tail end of that, like right at the beginning of the blockbuster era, and then he just kind of becomes an action hero because, well, what else are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I have I have a lot of respect. You know, Stallone gets a lot of shit. Um, and, uh, but I and I have a lot of respect for him. I've not seen Nighthawks though. Um, but it's I've a lot of, I've kind of heard of, of it as one of those like famously like troubled awful productions that made this like kind of incomprehensible film to some degree. It's it's not bad though. I mean you got two really strong performances. Like Stallone's really good in it and Rutger Hauer's really good in it. Uh-huh. Uh the movie's really predictable because it kind of sets up the ending gag right at the beginning of the film. It's like a kind of a bookend thing that kind of gives away you know they're gonna use this again. You know, like it's just such a nod at you like, hey Keep this in mind. This is going to happen again, but it's fun. It's it's basically just like a cat and mouse game between Stallone and and Howard. Um, uh, Howard's like doing bombings and stuff like that, and then whenever someone finds out he's a terrorist, he ends up like brutally murdering them. Like it, it's very dark in places. It kind of sets the tone for like as the eighties went on. How uh, some of these action films just had like really nasty stuff in them, right? This like really cold stuff. Um, and it's, yeah, it's fairly enjoyable. I, I liked it. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the best Stallone film or anything like that, but it, it's it's actually like considering all the shit that went down behind the scenes, they actually pulled a fairly decent action movie out of their ass. So nice. <laughs> uh, next one I'll mention. Um, let's see here. Oh, I do have one more like kind of little thing I'll, okay. I'll just throw in. Um, my wife and I have been watching. Uh, you know, I haven't been watching it uh, completely, but um, she kind of sat and watched it. Um, the uh, new um, Sabrina, uh, the Cursed World oh, yeah. Sabrina or whatever. It's the new Sabrina, the Teenage Witch uh, television series. It's made by the uh, same uh, creative team that did the Riverdale. Riverdale, um, yeah. Riverdale has this uh, complete, and I haven't seen all, all of that, but I've watched you know a few episodes of it and kind of, you know. Uh, Riverdale has this like high camp aesthetic, which kind of works with, you know, where it's like, oh, we've got these dark, secrets of this like secretive family that control everything in the town the blossoms and we really <laughs> got to worry about the blossoms coming in you know like everybody's in these kind of like cheerleader clothes and yet they're also you know and it, it really kind of it, it it strikes this weird tone sabrina does not I, I think it's going for something slightly different it's going for something a lot more kind of more straightforwardly horror but kind of you know kind of doing it's kind of harry potter but you know good (laughs) um it's definitely kind of got the sense of you know there's this young girl who's you know kind of like born into this world she's got like half witch half human and she's uh trying to sort of like make it um and trying to kind of figure out her place but it's also uh definitely has some some moments that kind of feel like oh yeah that that comes kind of from a horror film that that definitely has that has that kind of vibe and um I think it's it's actually it's pretty well done. Um, I didn't again, I didn't watch all of it, um, but what I watched, I really enjoyed. It's also um, surprisingly sexy in places. There's some oh, yeah. there's some nice stuff. Um, so uh, 
you know, if you're if you're kind of on the fence about whether you might uh, kind of enjoy that, I what I saw, I, I quite enjoyed. It was definitely worth. Uh, you know, I was not I was not kind of like wanting to flick away. You know, it was it was enjoyable. I've been considering trying out Riverdale just because I keep seeing this really hot redhead that's in that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, well there there are quite a few reasons like that to watch Riverdale. Um, I don't think there's anything quite that overt in um, Sabrina. I mean, I think there are some some attractive young ladies, but I don't think they're they're dolled up in quite the same way. Um, you know, to, to kind of go for that like high high femme kind of you know like overt sexiness. But um, there's some there's some good stuff. Um, so um, you know, nice. Riverdale is also one of those shows that sort of like it gets like recapped a bunch like on pe- by people on my Twitter feed. So I guess right. a lot of like the kind of you know it's one of those uh, shows that people have hot takes on, you know? And um, I, I, I think there's something, uh, there's something enjoyable about that. Like that, that like sort of TV internet culture still exists for like shows <laughs> like that. Um, because it does feel like the world has slightly moved on. Like now that we're not doing, now that we kind of just watch whole seasons of television and everything's just plot blocked. And I don't know, there's, there's this, there's this kind of almost lost, um, lost love for episodic TV <laughs> that you get from a, <laughs> From some of these shows, I, I, I kind of just love that fan uh, that fan culture still exists to that level. So anyway, um, sure. that's that's worth checking out at least if you're uh, listening to this podcast and you think it sounds cool. Right on. Okay, so one I'll mention very briefly: uh, the Mummy from 2017, the Tom Cruise <laughs> Mummy. <laughs> no, we have to said we are never covering a Tom Cruise movie on this podcast, so we can't actually talk about it. <laughs> but was it a giant piece of shit? It was a giant piece of shit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. That that dark universe thing that the uh, that uh, <laughs> think that that stalled right out of the gate there, didn't it? It really did. Uh, you know, you let Tom Cruise take over your movie, and it's not one of his typical movies. It, it looks like. I mean, honestly, it looked like the movie wasn't going to be bad. Except, why is Tom Cruise in this? And I'm not. And I'm not a Tom Cruise hater. I think yeah. we've just decided we're never covering a Tom Cruise movie. Just on the like, that's the one thing we're not doing on this podcast. There are some great Tom Cruise performances out there. I would love to talk about, but not until the very like the last episode of this podcast. We're going to do like six Tom Cruise movies. And no, we we over. have we have. We have two rules. No Tom Cruise films, and the last film we ever do is going to be The Searchers. <laughs> right, right. I forgot about that one. So, yeah, yeah, no. So, never going to do Tom Cruise, at least uh, at least more than we've already done it. But, um, mm. but yeah, yeah, no. no um, yeah, no, that, that, that looked awful. That looked, like, fucking awful, yeah. It, it's just one of those – it's just another one of those uh, – we gotta we gotta make a universe of interconnected films, and uh, we gotta we gotta cop, copy the Marvel uh, formula. And everyone forgets that the Marvel formula developed over like ten years or more, and it wasn't necessarily everything happening all at once. But in this film, almost everything happens all at once. It's like, oh, there's 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 a there's a vampire called Dracula somewhere, and you got Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and oh, here's a Here's the Gill Man's fucking hand or whatever, and it's museum and right, oh, right. just fuck right off. Kind of, it's, it's like, like you, you, they forget. I mean, this, so so uh, another little um, side thing that we can we can I guess tease for this is a little side project we've been talking about doing, and something I've been like really wanting to do for a while is do all the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe films in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be a really good place to kind of talk about. Um, 
sort of how you do this and what works and what doesn't in these. But you're right. The key to like doing this is that you have to kind of have compelling narratives for each individual film. And it has to be something that like then organically expands into something larger as opposed to, and I, and I feel like it's like also the sort of geek property thing of like, Oh, we're going to throw in all these Easter eggs, you know, we're going to, but then the Easter eggs just sort of overwhelm the, the narrative you're, you're trying to go for. And then, you know, it just doesn't, just doesn't work. I mean, you've got to, you've got to have a clear answer to why does somebody want to see this film first? Um, and it, like everything, it just seemed like, I don't know, all the ads for it just seemed like complete, like overwhelmingly, yeah, it's got four plots going on. It's got, you know, so much stuff that's just kind of stuffed in and then it's like, oh, it's the mummy. <laughs> I like, I don't know. No, you know, uh, it, it sounds, I, I've been kind of curious to see it. How did you watch it? Was it, uh, was it like on, uh, some non uh non kosher uh streaming service thing or was it uh was it available yeah somewhere? it was it was, was non kosher because i mean okay. there's no way i'm paying for this <laughs> so. right. i was wondering like if it was on netflix or something i might go ah, i'll throw it on and see what it see what see what's going on with that but uh, yeah yeah anyway but yeah but no uh moving on uh the one other one i'll mention is uh Sicario day of uh soldado mm-hmm. or soldado guess is uh did have you ever seen the first uh, sicario I, film i saw the trailer for the second one a couple of times when i was seeing a bunch of movies over the summer and um was vaguely aware that there was a first one <laughs> and that's as far <laughs> as i got on that like um it looked it looked pretty decent but also uh you know kind of hard to tell from a trailer so how was it uh pretty decent but it's one of those really depressing films where there's like no real good guys in it like it's yeah. just it's, it's one of those ones like here's the harsh realities of politics between Mexico and the USA and how everyone's a little dirty to some degree and they have to do dirty things to uh get what they want and um i mean the performances are great technically this is a fantastic fucking film uh the, the uh the sort of like action scenes where they have like gunfights and stuff they're kind of mm-hmm. like Michael Mann level where they're like technically realistic you know they're not they're not yeah, the bullshit yeah. action movie shoot shoot 'em ups i thought the first film was better just cuz it had a more <laughs> fleshed out story and it had a character that the audience could sort of identify with as like the innocent who gets thrown into the cesspool of bullshit mm-hmm. and and then and of course you have um What's his name there? Uh, Thanos. Uh, Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin as like the, he's this weird, like uh, secret agent type guy. Who's kind of like a every man fixer who fixes all their problems for them. You know what? You need a job done. I can do it. it it's, it's kind of like the realistic James Bond. How much of a, like a psychopathic asshole James Bond really is. You know, <laughs> I, I watching the trailer it kind of made, and you kind of hearing your description. It kind of sounds like, Oh, it's about kind of the drug cartels in Mexico, like mm-hmm. us border relations. And I was thinking like, so it's basically that chunk of traffic just split into like two full movies. The the second film but with you know, more action, like more, you know. Yeah, the the second film's a bit more of an action film, and it deals mm-hmm. more with uh, terrorists being smuggled by the cartels across the border. Yeah, it's <sighs> the the thing about Sicario, uh, the first and this one, um, they're really depressing films because there's like very few characters in it that are even remotely likable, unless you're basically an asshole. Uh, 
and there's like wow just if any of this is even and it, it feels like a lot of this is pretty real too like this is like the kind of shit that does happen on a daily basis behind the scenes that we never hear about right so, so it's like oh man i just i don't want to be in this world anymore <laughs> it's it sounds like something i should probably check out um I I can't believe I like completely. I, I don't know. I can't believe I, I don't watch a lot of new stuff, but it is kind of like um, I just completely miss not only miss seeing the first film, but completely miss like its its existence did not impinge on my consciousness at all. You know when you when you're not like watching ads on the internet or when you're not you know, <laughs> um, you know when you didn't when you have ad blocker you just don't see some stuff you know unless you're just like hang out on YouTube and check out all the new trailers. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have to like actively go seek out trailers and like, Oh, that's the thing that exists. And I don't like follow the movie news anymore. You know, like I used to yeah. check like, you know, the, 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 the buzz websites all the time or the hype websites, you should call them. But anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think both of us probably do more searches through rare lust than anything else. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Hey, I found this really weird thing from 1973. Let's watch it. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that sort of concludes the first half of the show. Um, Maybe I'll sort of break here and then we'll come back and uh, we'll see what you guys had to say. The listeners. Nah. They get to take over the show. (laughs) No, well, save me the effort. Sure. I'll just sit here and drink. Sounds good. Mm. So we do have some comments here. Uh, that was a great musical interlude, Lee. I appreciate it. Like it was. I'm glad yeah. you enjoyed it. Um, man, the the amount of editing I'm going to do on this fucking podcast is going to be so minimal because yeah. I just I won't have the patience for it with my yeah. fucking busted yeah. up knee. Um, there's there's going to be like 30 seconds worth of music that you're just going to stick in there, and then that's that's it. Um, I'm more I'm more horrified by all the ums and ahs I'm not going to be taking out because I'm not doing any of that shit in this yeah. episode. <laughs> you know what? You know what? It's it's fine. Let let the, let the people hear what we really sound like. Mm. Strip back. We're not as intelligent as we actually sound, guys. Uh, yeah. I, and I make us sound brilliant. Uh, what I what I found is that if you go in Audacity and you do like there's a there's a like a truncate silence button. So mm-hmm. anytime. So even if the ums and ahs are there. But the space in between, like the words, and then there's, you know, you cut that down to like, you know, a quarter of a, or, you know, like 0.1 seconds or whatever. Mm. So we just sound faster and we sound smart again. That's the way to do it. <laughs> Shit, I might have to look into that because I usually my that's what my editing is centered around is like taking all the the pauses and ums and ahs out. So it sounds like we're just rapid firing. Go 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 yeah. go. If you if you if you, you there's a little trick there. So. Uh, Whoever listens to this, if if Lee leaves this in, which he will, because he's not going to do any real editing, that's mm. that's how that's how you make your podcast. That's how you make yourself sound smart on the podcast in thirty seconds. Is you just <laughs> you know, take out all the silences, and then it's fine. I, I so wish I had thirty seconds. Um, 
So Jay Deering says, he, he basically he's listing some of his favorite films here. He says, some of my faves, yes, I probably need help. If you guys could cover any of these, the, that would be sweet. So I'll read the list here. Um, Sallow, 120 Days of Sodom. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> have you seen this? No. I, I know of it. I know I, of I've seen it. I've seen it. I, I, I don't... There's not... It's all concept, right? You know, because it's all like we're watching a bunch of aristocrats torture children for 90 minutes. And like a dude shits in a bowl and then like kid has to eat it. And there's a bunch of like naked people. And it's all this like sort of extended metaphor for like sort of aristocracy and fascism mm-hmm. in the kind of final days of I think it's the um, I think it's the I forget which fascist regime it is, but it's one of the fascist regimes. I saw it like 10 or 11 years ago or something. Um, I don't I mean. I get why you would appreciate it as an experience, but I don't know that I, I don't know that there's more to say about it than that. Like, you know, it's just kind of like, let's just watch. I mean, it's torture porn, you know, and it's got this idea behind it, but it's more useful in concept than it is in execution in my, in my opinion, you know, like there, I just, I can't imagine spending like 90 minutes sitting and talking about it. So it sounds about as torturous as like a, Serbian film or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it, there's stuff in it. I mean, it's definitely sort of, you know, worth seeing once. I, I definitely see why it has the reputation it does. Um, but, you know, part of what we try to do on the podcast, or at least part of what, you know, we try to consider is like just sort of what is there to say about this? I mean, I feel like we would sit down and we would, you know, we'd watch it and we'd kind of open up and go, well, this is what the film is. And it's been 15 minutes, and they go, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> Man, that was kind of gross. And then they uh, they scalp them at the end. Isn't that great? <laughs> like, that's... All right. Maybe, maybe I'm not, uh, maybe, I, maybe I'm uh, being a little bit dismissive of it. Um, I, you know, I, if, if you're interested, I would definitely kind of check it out again. And uh, certainly if you've got a listener kind of requesting it, I would, I'd be interested to know what, what he thinks about what I just said about the film if there's something I'm missing in it, but like I saw it and I was just kind of, it didn't even like make me like, it wasn't even like revolting in the sense Mm. of like, I'm watching something that I just physically find difficult to watch. It was just like, man, this is really kind of just dull. Like it's just, it's trying to shock me so hard. It doesn't shock me, you know? Okay. Well, we'll keep that in the back burner. We might do something with that. Like maybe do like an episode someday where we just like, do little 15 minute takes on really you know, movies that basically sort of fit that sort of yeah, yeah, sure, that sure. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, he goes on uh, to uh, Yodorowsky uh, films, El Topo and the Holy Mountain. I think those are ones we should definitely check out at some point. Yeah, no, um, I have uh, seen bits of both of those, but I've not seen either one all the way through. So yeah, definitely want to get some Yodorowsky on the, on the, on the, well, in my cinematic, experience because i just haven't had a whole lot of experience with it but yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to i i own el topo um and i've seen it a couple times and i don't really know what to think of it so it'll, it'll be interesting well, to <laughs> that's it. kind of an interesting thing to 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 visit then yeah we'll, we'll yeah. put that on the list for next year uh many lists too that we're definitely going to be doing probably in the new year pat garrett and billy the kid uh, mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that's going to be a big episode because I think I might want to go into like detail about like the different versions and all that shit. So that might be one of our bigger episodes. 
Uh, and then he lists the killing of a Chinese bookie, which I've I, I own a copy of that now specifically, so we can do it on the podcast at some point, and also just because I wanted to own it. So I don't I don't know that one at all. What is that one? That's a uh, Cassavetti's film, um, mm-hmm. and basically it's he's a nightclub owner who just gets out of debt, mm-hmm. I believe, and then the mafia show up at his at his club and take him to basically gamble, and that's what like one of his many faults <laughs> and and it's been uh been G- gazara by the way a uh, really great actor but yeah he loses tons of money and becomes indebted to the mob again and so <laughs> they they say well if you kill this guy for us you'll you'll, you'll pay off your debt so basically he kills the <laughs> titular chinese bookie who happens to be uh, he doesn't know it at the time, but happens to be the main boss of the Chinese mafia in town, and then mm. they start hunting him down, basically. And but it's a very, um, it's not like a, it's not like a noir film. It's not like a crime well, film. Cassavetes, right? So, yeah. It, it, yeah, no, that sounds, uh, yeah, that that definitely sounds uh, intriguing. We'll uh, definitely do that soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he lists uh, Boogie Nights. Which sure. I think is a given that we should do at some point. Um, yeah, well, it's it's kind of surprising. We've never done a PT Anderson. Well, I guess we did um, Inherent Vice, but that's I mean that yeah. is okay. That is PT Anderson, sure, but that's the only one we've done. And I'm a I'm a huge PT Anderson fan. Um, Boogie Nights. Um, <laughs> ironically, it was a, kind of a weird little thing. I had a uh, tweet go slightly viral, um, and um, Nina Hartley responded to it. Oh, really? Yeah. And she's in Boogie Nights. She plays mm-hmm. um, William H. Macy's wife in that film. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, just as this kind of like very generic, like, uh, you know, like, oh, let me add some more information to this. And it was like completely like not like a like a thing at all. It was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but I was like, I have um, I have, you know, had, you know, Nina Hartley read some words that I I wrote and then responded to them. And like, that's just kind of a weird thing. I was telling that to people, it's like, can you imagine going back in time and telling that to like 19 year old you that like <laughs> one day, <laughs> one day your brush with fame would be Nina Hartley noticed me for 15 seconds. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, uh, Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights, I think is probably, um, I haven't seen the Phantom Thread, but uh, Boogie Nights, I would say is probably my, the least of P.T. Anderson's films, but um, it's kind of a masterpiece regardless. Um, and, uh, I think, yeah, I would definitely have a lot to say about it if you, if you want to cover it. Um, yeah, we might do that. I've got some, I've got some ideas of things we might do. We might pair that with something because I think there's some interesting kind of counterpoints we can get into, but I'd want to think on that for a while. But if you want to put that on the list, we'll definitely do that. So. All right, cool. Um, next one he mentions is Antichrist. That's large uh, volunteer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I've never seen that one, but I've heard. It I, I haven't. I haven't at all. I've. I've definitely <laughs> heard. I definitely know the controversy around it. So you know, and there are several different versions to that. I think. I think there's there? like a, there's like a director's cut version, and a, I may be kind of misremembering, but um, I was. I kind of recall there was there was some uh, there was uh, some issue where there were a couple of different cuts, but I may be kind of misremembering that. But um, you yeah, know, if people want us to do it, I'm I'm happy to do it. Sure. Uh, the Keep, which is Michael Mann's first film, I believe, mm-hmm. which is a horror film that's like crazy as shit and not 
not really uh doesn't really indicate where Michael Mann's career is going to go uh, after that. <laughs> uh, it's like it it's probably the most un Michael Mann Michael Mann film you're ever going to see because all of his other films kind of like have his signature all over them but right. Yeah, that that's got uh um uh Gandalf in it. Uh Ian Ian McKellen, yeah. Ian McKellen, yeah, and uh I think I can't I can't I can't remember at the moment but fucking yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting one. That that that'd be definitely something to do. Um, Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, Martyrs, which I think is definitely worth covering. Uh, some people would put that in like the same same sort of uh, bracket as like Sallow and uh, Serbian film, but I think mm-hmm. it's way better than those. Uh, I think it actually has something to say instead of <laughs> just being. <laughs> Just being uh, monstrously offensive and gross, um, so yeah, we might try that. And finally, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Which, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, uh, solid. Yeah, no, list there, dude. yeah, no, that is that is a good list. Yeah, so uh, add them all to our list. We'll get to them sometime in the next twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> we we will get to some of these in the next uh, in the new year, uh, Jay. Yeah. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, then we move on to the next comments from uh, Derek uh, Bourgeois, I believe. I'm probably fucked that up. I'm sorry, Derek. Uh, he's actually a podcaster himself. He has the uh, podcast on uh, Legion Podcast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. So mm-hmm. if, if you like Godzilla and Ultraman and all kinds of other monsters punching each other in the face in Wrecking Cities, that's the podcast to check out. It's actually pretty good. He says... What are some of your favorite types of Ozploitation films? They really tackled so many genres of films, so I always see a variety. I'd love to see you guys tackle Wake and Fright at some point. Um, Wake and Fright is an interesting one. I guess it's... I, I know it a little bit by reputation. I know Donald Pleasance is in it, so immediately I think kind of, yeah, we should try it out at some point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, for me... I don't know that I've seen enough of them to, to kind of, you know, have a, have a handle on them, honestly, to, to kind of give you titles, but you know me, I'm always, I'm always down for, I'm always down for some good exploitation. Yeah. I, I like honestly a more modern one, uh, rogue from the same guy who did, uh, Wolf Creek. And I like Wolf Creek too, although that's a depressing film. Uh, but rogue is really good. It's probably the best, uh, creature feature kind of film that's been done in the last like 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, Razorback. That's a pretty fun kind of monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, we're going to be doing the Last Wave. That's <laughs> right. That's 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 uh, that sort of fits in that genre. I've seen I've seen like Walkabout, uh, mm-hmm. Picnic and Hanging Rock. I yeah, mean, just, you know what's the what's the how do, how are we defining exploitation exactly? You know, is I, sort of uh... it seems to be a catch-all for every movie ever made in Australia. Okay, you know? well, you know. Yeah. I mean, Mystery Road would make that list then for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is one we both kind of watched like two years ago and uh, said, oh, yeah, we're going to do a full episode on that. And then never did. Still haven't. Yeah. You know? we'll, we'll get to it. We'll but, get to it. Um, yeah. Uh, we we will do Wake and Fright. We need to, we need to, you know, I like, I like getting like titles from people and saying like, I'd like you to do this film. Like I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like you to cover this kind of film because, you know, we do, I mean, we do try to cover a whole bunch of different stuff, but we kind of get caught in like, Oh, this is the stuff that I'm interested in doing. And then we can do these series and they kind of last forever. And then, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's nice to kind of get stuff that 
takes us out of that out of that bubble a little bit. So you know, um, yeah, no, definitely. Let's do some films from Australia. Yeah, no uh, yeah. Like honestly, people listening to this, don't be afraid to like fucking suggest films. We're we're definitely yeah. open to trying different stuff because we do sometimes get stuck in like personal ruts where we're doing like eight thousand vampire films and. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and finally we have a comment from Jeff Williams who says just got the new William Castle box set from Indicator what's your favorite Castle film Uh, have you seen a lot of William Castle I have not seen enough to to say so take it take it okay Um, I sadly have mostly only seen his horror stuff like sort of Mm -hmm. his later things Um, I mean right up to the end he was doing gimmicks like even if the the film was just sort of based around a gimmick itself, you know? Um, but he did like a, sh- he did 50 odd films and a shitload of them were like Westerns and stuff like that before he sort of hit onto the horror kind of thing. Um, I would say, and these are kind of like the, the answers I think everybody almost gives. Uh, I think like the uh, house on haunted Hill and the tingler are kind of like neck and neck for my favorite things from him uh although i do kind of like 13 ghosts although uh, that uh i seem to recall that film being um gaslighting the film basically where there's one one female (laughs) character is just like gaslighted through the whole thing uh or was that house in haunted hill i can't remember at the moment um that might it might have been the other way around I, i sort of get those ones mixed up a lot uh one other one i do like a lot is mr sardonicus which involves like plastic surgery and uh, it's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I too haven't seen enough William Castle stuff, unfortunately to really. Yeah. I'm looking at the, answer. I'm looking at the list now. And other than like a couple of the, you know, the classics, I, I don't think I've really seen any of these, but like ton of, ton of great, you know, 13 frightened girls. What is 13 frightened girls? I'm always, oh. I'm always down for frightened girls. It's a, uh, Pathic Color Cold War spy film directed and produced by William Castle. Huh. Kathy Dunn stars as a teenage sleuth who finds herself embroiled in international espionage. Well, I mean, huh. you know. I mean, he, he did another, uh, I know he did another uh, sort of um, secret agency type film. I think it was called uh, Zots or something like Zots. that. Zots, that's uh, the year before. So yeah. I, I, tend to, I tend to gravitate towards the early 60s for some reason. Mm. Zots. That's a fantasy comedy film about a man obtaining magical powers from a god of ancient civilization. It's based on a 1947 novel. Yeah, he gets he gets like a coin that can do like one of three things, uh, depending. You know, or he can do three different things, and you you know you can like kill people, and I think maybe like control them or whatever. And I think there was like a secret agent subplot to that, where like spies were coming after him for the power of the coin or something like that. Um, then there was another one with, uh, I think it was his last film, actually. It was one with, um, uh, Marcel Mousseau, Marceau, the, the mime, Marceau Mousseau or whatever the fuck his name yeah, is. Marcel Marceau, yes. Yeah. Um, where it's like, it involves, it's, it's kind of a comedy. Shanks. 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 Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a comedy, uh, fantasy film involving reanimating corpses with like a, a device that basically just makes them like living or well, not living, but you know, animated reanimated puppets that you can control. Basically. It sounds like when you do some William Castle, it sounds yeah. like he's, you know, that's, that's a good way to kind of burn some of these down, you know? Yeah. You always burn seem to have, episodes. 
he always seemed to have uh, the one thing about Castle. He always seemed to, like most of his movies always seem to have like a kind of a neat idea at least. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Mean, uh, a high concept is uh, something that kind of gets a little uh, over. Uh, I think it's a little underrated as, a, as an idea of at least for okay, at least you got like a good idea for. Mm-hmm. Apparently, William Castle was an uncredited writer on *The Lady from Shanghai*, which is the Orson Welles film from 1947. So, oh, uh, I know full he, circle. I know, I know he produced. Uh, I know he has a producer credit on *Rosemary's Baby*. He does, yeah, yeah. Also, *Project X*, but not the uh, not the Matthew Broderick monkey <laughs> movie, but another one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he lived long enough for that. No, I, I don't think so. No, this was. Uh, he died in '77, I think. Wow. <laughs> Project X's story echoes some geopolitical themes of the late 1960s, such as overpopulation, emerging genetic engineering, biological warfare, and fear of Asian dominance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, we are definitely going to start to do some of these films. I'm, I'm, I'm down for this. Yeah. There's also, again, quite a few Westerns here in the kind of the 50s. And, uh, you know me, I, I am always down for a nice 50s Western. Yeah, at least because they're usually short, and it's always fun to do like yeah. short movies on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. if we do two or three, you know. Yeah. All right, so that's basically all I think we got. Um, comments wise, thank you very much, guys. That's usually that's more than we usually get. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could you could leave those comments in like you can always leave those comments. We will we will do this every week if we get comments. It's it's great. There's a reason we read CB Falls every week. Um, I guess we don't need more. He hasn't been leaving comments on our stuff. Maybe he got tired of us making fun of him, but you know, there's a, I, don't, we, I don't think he ever listened. So, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I think with with Google Plus going away, well, I'll probably miss most of his comments after that anyway. So yeah, but well, that's the one loss that Google Plus is that losing. Google Plus will definitely. Lose one positive thing in the world that is CB false comments on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the only positive that Google Plus ever brought to the world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on the internet uh, at Daniel Lee Harper uh, on Twitter. That's the best way to find me. Everything that I do goes up there. So check me out there. Awesome. And of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all of our links to YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Facebook. And, of course, join our Facebook group if you want to find out what's coming up on the podcast. And potentially next episode should be the last wave if I'm recovered enough to actually do a proper job on this podcast and not just bullshit. <laughs> if, not, if not, we'll just bullish, bullshit some more. That'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe we'll do some Arnie movies if, if, uh, if we're feeling... Uh, We'll just we'll just do the we'll do the brain dead stuff for a week, you know. While you're, while you're yeah, we could do that too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Daniel's taking control of this podcast uh, very shortly for the rest of the year. So uh, yeah, so so you you can no longer blame Lee if you don't like the uh, the content. You can you can only you can blame me for everything as opposed to just the things that I say from now on. I'm gonna have to edit it to make you sound like a monster. Uh, you, you don't have to edit it that hard. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, and we will see you again when we see you again. Bye-bye. See you. Cheers.
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>